All right, well, maybe we'll hang around there for a little longer. We're having fun with it, but I... So I want to go into our next, uh, next point. We've been teaching about hermeneutics. There is a science and a uh, technology to hermeneutics, how to follow the proper way to draw out of Scripture through context and culture and, and uh, the word etymology, the languages, and so forth. And we've learned the technical side of things. But I also want to teach you how to draw out of Scripture what moves you and what's important to you, what strengthens you. Um, I've said this before, you can uh, properly, um, you know, rightly divide the Word of God and technically understand the doctrine and the theology, but if it's not alive in you, you know, it's going to do no good. Now, there's a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible, but it makes no impact on their life. And that is foreign to the understanding of Scripture. What you know, you should believe and act upon. In Hebrew Scripture and understanding of culture, if you say you believe something, it is evidenced in your life. Western theology says we believe all sorts of things, but you don't see any evidence of it. We've separated the two and extracted it. I was reading a book this week, uh, the, the Greek influence on, on the Bible, and one, one thing the man said is, he said this, how did we get in 300 years from the Sermon on the Mount, which is a, a, a testimony of Christ and a, doc, a, a declaration of how we should live, how did we get there uh, from the Sermon on the Mount to the Nicene Creed, where you know, I understand why we got there. I understand the criticism and, and the fight against the doctrines of the church. And we had to uh, necessarily rightly divide and put a doctrine in place to defend the deity of Jesus Christ and His humanity and the Trinity. I understand that. But something got lost from the defense of it and the living of it. How did we get from the Sermon on the Mount is this is how you're to live in the New Testament to a doctrine and a creed which we believe, but yet the church strayed from in its fundamentals of life. See, so we have got to get back to a Hebrew understanding of Scripture and what we know to be true in Scripture is evident in our hands and in our feet. It's got to be that simple. It's evident in our decisions of yes or no. All of it backed up by what we believe in Scripture. Christianity should be really plain. It should be in your ten little fingers and your ten little toes and in your mouth and in your eyes and ears. It should be evident there more than anywhere else. And that's what I want to look at tonight. I want to help you understand how to draw out of a story. Um, God's given me, I don't know, I, I have, uh, um, you know, I've got a lot of schooling in, in art. I have a bachelor's degree in fine arts and a master's degree in sculpting. I spent a lot of years in, in the creative arts. And so I, I love creativity. And so I look for these things uh, when I'm in Scripture and I draw out of these things uh, the, the, the setting and what's happening. And in that, I find a richness to the story. And that's what I want tonight to do. I, I, I want to challenge you to find the riches of the story. Sometimes we're trying so hard to figure it out, and sometimes it's right there in the setting. 
And uh, so if you'll go to your outline, I want to share this with you. Getting the most from the story. I've been saying this over and over, and Jen White uh, sent me, I read that article, and uh, you'll see some of the quotes here. And uh, I've fallen in love with the power of story. I mean, God could have told us how the earth was created when He, uh, by the authority and unction within Him, generated the photons and the neutrons and the this and the that and tell us the biology and the, uh, uh, the DNA of how structure came into being and this and that. And, and, you know, 21st century man would go, oh, okay, here we go. But he didn't put it that way because there's so much more depth to story. There's so much more depth to what he's saying in partitioning it off between day and night, between calling out all things that were within the earth and pulling out from the land to the animal, to the man, to the woman and bringing woman to man and to have deception by the snake and the serpent and this tree of life. And, and, and people go, oh, come on, talking snakes and trees that have magical fruit. You've got to get into the story of this thing. You've got to get into the depth of this thing. It, it penetrates many, many layers of understanding the depth of evil and right, obedience and love and care for God. Many of your greatest understandings in life happened through story. You could tell me a story of how you learned you should obey the law. There's a lot of stories about that I've heard uh, from a lot of you folks. A lot of you can tell me stories of how you got out of alcoholism and out of drugs. It's a story. And, and there were not only talking snakes, there were pink elephants, and there were all sorts of things you saw. <laughs> but it goes the depth. These stories go a depth, and we remember them, and we transfer them one to another. So story is rich. Story has many layers and it has so much depth and color because it engages you emotionally. And God knew what he was doing by telling uh, history and proving his identity through story because it engages both the right and left hemispheres of your brain. It gets your cognitive reasoning, intellect involved, but it gets you emotionally charged to receive it. And so story is what I want you to draw out tonight. We're going to work on that. We'll get to the tools of the Greek and the Hebrew and all that later, but let's not miss the richness of story. Don Norman said this, Stories are important cognitive events, for they encapsulate into one compact package information, knowledge, context, and emotion. How many of you remember when I had that video of Penner from Tell and Penner, and, and he said, you know, I read through the Bible. Uh, and threw it off just so insignificant. I read through the Bible, and there's so much nonsense in it. You, you just have to read that to know it's not true. Uh, and yet, here's a guy that would read Homer's Iliad. Here's a guy that would read uh, the histories of Rome and this and that. We have more manuscripts proving the, the uh, authority of Scripture uh, than we do of any other ancient document. But yet, folks read that and get something out of it, the story. But they can't tolerate the story of this. Because every story in here points to the higher authority, the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father. So, so we write it off as something silly and something trite. But the depth of this story brings us information, knowledge, context, and emotion. How are you going to reveal heaven 
to a fallen man who can't even figure out himself and his condition. You have to do it in story. You have to teach it in parable. You have to bring poetry and song. You have to teach it in the wind and in the trees. And and it has to be taught in human lives, struggling through to understand the mysteries of this universe. That's what this book is. And so when you read these stories, 21st century, our problem is we're in the information age. With computers, we want facts, we want figures, we want numbers, we want sound bites. We can't sit and watch an interview. Give me the sound bites. <laughs> Do you know how distorted our news is because of three second sound bites? You know, they used to sit and listen to presidential inaugurations. They used to sit and listen to speeches. People used to gather together around a fire and say, tell me a story. And it would last two hours. We got some folks a little agitated Sunday because we had the Chinese brothers testifying too long. It was a bit long. But could you hear the stories of Jesus? See, we're so used to technology and it, it has a negative effect on the depth of insight we gain and the emotional connection we have with stories. Our, our sense of facts and numbers and figures, give me the fact, give me the, the, the ratio. Who was that? Dragnet, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Right? And, and uh, so what we're missing are the nuances. Now let me ask you this. John, uh, who wrote the gospel, said this. He said that if all the things that were written about Jesus Christ and all that he said and did were written down, all the volumes would fill the earth. How long did he minister for? Three years. I think there was a lot of stuff he did and a lot of stuff he said. So, with that thought in mind, now, maybe what he's referring to is all that Jesus said and did from beginning of time to the end of time, because he always existed then. That it would hold all volumes. In fact, it is the Word. Everything created is the Word. It's his story. Remember, everything was created by what? The Word. His Word. The Word. This is a story we're living in. And it's not make-believe. But if you were to write all the things that he had said, the volumes... So, so we believe this is the inspired word of God. So I would have to believe that the words that were chosen by God to put as logos, as written word for us to read, has impact and purpose. So there isn't a word in here that doesn't have a use. So when he tells us the setting, and when he tells us the time of day, it all matters to the story. You've got to look for that. You've got to search for that. When it expresses an emotion from some of the people, that means something. There's a dynamic here that you have to begin to study and understand. You see, there's more to words than just their etymology, their meaning. There's emotion. There's, there's something happening between people in the context and in the setting of where they're at. You see, that's why we look at some of the culture, because many times when you see the gospel writers writing about Jesus giving an analogy of him being the light of the world, when you do the study of where he was standing at the time, he's standing near the temple where the huge candelabras are lit at night. And he's saying, I am the light of the world. 
You, you know, so we go into searching and understanding the culture to know that everything he said had fragrance and touch and attitude wrapped up in it. And that's what we have to look for. And that's exciting. That's why it takes time to meditate on the Word of God. Right? We, we read it like it's juicy fruit. We touch it and, you know, and then we want something juicy out of it and move on. Take the time. Ursula Le Guin said this, there have been great society that didn't use the wheel, but there have never been societies that did not tell stories. Story is essential to mankind. Listen, how did we get, how did Moses get the story of creation? I mean, we have this idea that he sat down and God told him all that. Could have been, but... I, I believe that Adam and Eve had, had raised uh, Cain and Abel. Abel got killed. Then he had Seth and many other sons and daughters. Now, if you look at the time period, Seth lived all the way unto the time of Noah. And Seth and Noah knew each other. Is that crazy? And so then Noah brings this, well, at least Methuselah comes in who lived the longest time. And then you have a transference of the story of the garden from Seth Adam's own son transferring right to Noah. Noah brings it through the destruction of the flood into the new world and tells his sons who live unto the age to tell their son who then can tell Abraham. All right? And from Abraham and his sons as they tell the story, then you come to the time 400 years later where you have Moses whose mother was asked to breastfeed him and instruct him. So the transference of story and history is amazing. And many cultures use story very accurately for information and history. Okay? We can't remember our phone numbers, but they uh, had a great sense of remembering story. Do you know that there's power in story? I find it interesting that, in fact, the way you defeat the devil is by your story. What do we churchy people call your story? A testimony. Revelation 12, 11 says, They overcame, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Thank God we couldn't do that on our own. So that's the blood of the Lamb. But you've got to engage the blood of the Lamb into your what? testimony your story you got a story and you defeat the devil with your story what's your story huh but let's not forget the third part and they love not their life even unto death my story's greater than my life my story i'm gonna live it till death takes me but my story will live forever because my story is connected to god Now, your story is going to overcome the devil. First of all, your courage, you're not going to back down because you don't care about dying. Stand with my power stance. You don't don't care about dying, right? That's what it's supposed to be. That's what's happened. I have an opinion about the pre-rapture, the pre-tribulation rapture. It it wimped out the church. Everybody wants to get out of here (laughs) instead of standing their ground. Caused us to wimp out. Let me tell you that God wants a strong people, a strong church who will face death. Americans don't like that. We want to opt out. But your testimony is so strong, you'll die for it. 
Your story is so important, you'll die for it. You don't want to change your story. You don't want your story to have a crummy ending. Your story's going to last till the end. And your story's going to be an amazing triumph in conclusion. Your story's going to give glory to God. And you're going to overcome the devil because of your story. And my story is the blood of Jesus saved my soul. The blood of Jesus made me whole. The blood of Jesus cleansed me from sin. Can I tell you my story, how that happened? Let me tell you what happened to me. I was this, and he made me that. That's the power of story. That's why this story, reading it, excites us. Because I can relate to these guys. Moses, great leader, messed up. I relate to that. Peter, great apostle, stuck his foot in his mouth once again. Paul had to rebuke him openly. I can relate to this. But he pressed on, and he went forward. Mighty men of valor, great. I mean, come on, guys. Uh, Guys aren't reading their Bibles. Women are reading their Bibles. Guys, you're missing out on the best stuff there is. Man, this Charlton Heston couldn't even be Moses good enough. Man, a powerful story of men, mighty men of God. Have any of you ever read about the mighty men of David? These guys were bad, man. Killing thousands with a jawbone, with a sword, just, you know, doing whatever he could against an enemy. That points to us in spiritual warfare. Have you been fighting spiritually in the heavenlies to where your friends had to come and loose the grip of your fingers off the sword? Because you were fighting so much. So what I'm saying, these are stories. Then there's love stories. There's romance in this thing. It's beautiful. Amazing. Crazy stories. Crazy stories. Crazy good. Most of our experience, most of our knowledge, and most of our thinking is organized as stories. We call that what? Memories. Isn't that interesting? Someone needs to answer that phone. But isn't that interesting that memories are all placed in stories? We don't have file cards. We don't, we don't process it by fact and figure and, and this kind of information. All of your memories are recorded with sight and sound and emotion and feeling in a memory and a story. How many of you have ever smelled a certain fragrance and all, you're there, you're at some place, you, you, you know where it was, you can feel it, you know it, right? Now some of you uh, have stories in your memories that you'd like to get rid of. Here's the other part of the problem with our memories. We're the ones writing them down. So we write them down sometimes skewed according to how we feel when they happened. And it may not be the reality. The devil knows that he, he can mess and plant stories in us that are lies. This is where we have to get freedom. That's why Jesus said the entrance of his word brings what? Light. And the truth shall set you free. There are times that there are people who have been so broken and so wounded because of a memory or a story they endured and they wrote it down wrong. In that story, they wrote themselves as the one at fault. 
This happens so often when, when young people have been attacked or molested or this or that. See, see they, they remember the story. They feel it. They own it. And, and they know it. But yet, in the writing of the story, they put their opinion in it and think, I was the one wrong. God has to come and correct the story. Many of you have had inner healing and healing from memories that have been wrong. It's because Jesus had to come in the story, the story of stories, and come correct what you transcribed as wrong and say, this is what was true in that story. I've had experiences where the stories in my lives, where my life was radically changed from being one of my worst experiences now to one of my fondest. I'm going to tell you that. No, I can't. We're running out of time. Let's go on. Knowing the true story can set you free. And not only is it by words, C.S. Lewis says, symbols are the natural speech of the soul. A language older and more universal than words. So we think stories are just written by words, but it goes so much deeper than that. There is a language that speaks beyond human language, and it is in symbolism. It's in color, it's in fragrance, it's in emotion. It's all these things put together that even go beyond simple words. We look at English. English is such a uh, hodgepodge of, uh, I don't know the proper term for grammar and all that, put together. It's not a pure language. But you look at Greek and it's so much more advanced in its word and, and definitions of words. But But even the greatest of all languages, there is a greater language than that. Carl Jung began to understand it in the collective unconscious. He began to understand that symbols and things show up in every culture, every land. The sense of God is everywhere. So there's a deeper language even beyond our words. And it all tells a story. So what I'm going to do tonight for our exercise is we're going to go through these verses that I'm going to give you. And this is what I want you to look for. I'm not looking for any uh, revelations from God tonight. What I want you to do is when we're going to get into groups, I want you to pick out of this little story I give you, the setting. What time of the night is it? Where are they at? What's the location? Where in history of Israel are they? What's the culture got to do with this? What's going on in this story that has sight and smell and sound? What's the emotion of the characters as they're speaking and saying something to each other? What's the drama or comedy in this setting? What's of interest? What's the lesson that's being taught here? Now, what does it reveal about God? And what does it reveal about man? Okay? And so, last of all, What resonates with you from this story? But we're not going to get into that part tonight because all of you could talk for a long time and we only got a half hour left. I just want to try the exercise and and it'll help you go home and do this when you do your studies. So we're going to break up into, into small groups again. I'm going to give you each scriptures and as a group collectively, read through the passage and just set the setting. Be screenwriters for a movie and tell us how you're going to set it. The time, the mood, the feel. And then we're going to have each of you share that. Okay? You get it? That's the power of story. Okay. So, I'm asking you to get in groups of uh, sixes and seven, if that's all right with you. 
uh, do it quickly. Um, we, we need everybody involved. Stand up and make it happen. You have one minute left to make it happen. There you go, guys, right? Yep. Leave no man behind. Nobody left behind. You can have more than seven if you need to. You guys can go right there with your mom. Okay. All right. Everybody understand the assignment? Yes, we do. Someone grab. Just one. <laughs> All right, this is one group here. You okay, you're the mighty mighty group. Mighty 10. <laughs> All right. All right, just enough. There you are, guys. Read it, talk it over. Give me the setting, give me the emotion, give me the screenplay. You have till five after.
I'm going to take you, those uh, who are ready before others. Uh, so I, is there anybody close to being ready to offer? A, it's just a quick um, portrait. Don't worry, this is not like what's the deep meaning from God. It's just give me a little something about the setting and uh, that would help the story, okay? So it's a sketch, a little sketch about the event. Um, anybody almost ready? Okay, we got one. We got a taker. All right. Just need the uh, handheld. All right, here we go. Uh, we're going to let teams share now, but you've got to listen to their story to hear it. Now, you don't have to tell the whole thing. It, well, you can tell it, but tell us the interest. Set it up for us. Uh, and again, it's just a sketch. It doesn't have to be the whole deep thing. So let's try it. Here we go. Here's team. Team. Team Ruth. Okay, here's team Ruth. Listen to Ruth team. We need a lot of volume. Ooh, threshing floor at midnight. Yeah, the history, culture, the darkest time in it, Israel, history of Israel where people were worshiping themselves and God. Um, okay, emotion. We don't find a lot of emotion. I don't believe in Ruth, but Boaz seems very pleased and impressed with Ruth's request um, and her noble character. And the mother-in-law is happy that she yeah. was obedient. Okay. Um, Okay. Okay. Um, Revelation, character and heart. Um, God basically making a way uh, and blessing his uh, obedient servant. Okay, cool. All right. I'm going to help a little bit with each one. Okay. All right. So it's midnight, right? You got the cool of the evening, right? I don't know what kind of a moon we are. But it's the fall probably because they're harvesting. So at midnight, you got a full moon. He just ate and drank his meal. He's sitting by a crackling fire. You hear the heat of that fire. You hear crickets. Chirp, 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 chirp. He's falling asleep. Next thing he knows is there's a hot, warm body laying at his feet. Not just any hot, warm body, but the woman that caught his eye about a week ago. She is a fox. This lady's gorgeous. He's all about her. And at midnight, she climbs on the picnic blanket, uncovers his feet, and lays there. Which means, I would like to be your bride. He's startled and wakes up and looks and sees the woman of his dreams. He was probably dreaming about her. And now she's at his feet. And again, in the stillness of midnight and quiet, they're speaking to each other. 
You ever been in a situation like that? Late at night, talking about love, love and romance? I don't know where your wife sleeps, brother, but anyway. <laughs> talking about love and romance in the middle of the night? See what I'm getting at? There's a love story here. There's something intimate and sweet here. Okay? And, and he is definitely a gentleman towards her. And she's shy and meek and knows her mother-in-law wanted her to do this, so she does this, but I don't know how it's going to turn out. Right? She could, she could be hurt. She doesn't know him that well. So there's that kind of stuff that's kind of interesting that could happen. And that's what I'm talking about. Anybody else? You up front? Okay. Good job, good job, good job. Very good. Who was that, anyway? Saul, who became Paul. Very good. Very good. Okay. All right. Yeah, you're feeling the angst of that situation. And uh, it's just a short biographical thing, but feeling all uh, the emotion attached to it. Very good. Yes. sacrifice 
for the child, knowing full well because of the culture that they make a sacrifice of lambs to Jehovah, inquires where is the lamb, Father, where is the lamb? And in the knowledge, faith, and obedience of the Lord, Abraham steps forth and he, he takes his son, gathers the wood, and says that the Lord will provide. And the faith of taking them, walking them up to that mountain, and knowing that God will provide that lamb, even though his heart is breaking for the loss of his son and what he must do, he knows that God will cover him, guide him, and lead them. And I can only say that it resonates with me because I've been there. And the Lord had broken me in my illness and told me in the midst of my dying that he was going to be there. And he showed me that. And in, in the seven months and years of my suffering, he then turned, awoke me to a world where God's faith in my obedience and God's love and he has this for everyone. He will carry you through. And you just trust him and you obey him and you do what he orders. And he in turn will reward you in life. And the life is restored. Amen. It's good. Good. Let's let me add to the setting of that. What time did it was the day that Abraham had to sacrifice uh, Isaac? What time of day was it? morning so he got up first thing in the morning to do this journey you know he didn't wait he didn't procrastinate first thing he did is we've got to go how long did it take him to get to that mountain three days a three-day journey so like you were saying judy while you're in that place of wondering what's god gonna do i'm doing what i'm supposed to do where's god uh, this is taking me three days to get to that place right so he's obedient, he gets there, he brings a couple guys with him, but then he separates from his party, and it's just him and his son that have to do this walk alone. So just some of that setting, that background that helps tell the story. You did a good job. Is yours the one where Paul's lowered down from a rope too? You forgot that part too. So what's interesting is in your story, where these guys who are scared to death are now the guys holding the rope for him. Interesting stuff. Anybody else? Who's next? Who's next? Yes. Yeah. I spoke the word when he ran down and laid himself on him and um, 
That's good. What a story, huh? Isn't that a great story? I mean, it's sad for Eutychus, but uh, it was great. But have you ever been in a, a little uh, home fellowship meeting? You know, you're at a home fellowship, everything's fine, you're passing cookies, you're talking, and one of the kids falls asleep and boom, falls out of the window. All of a sudden, tragedy. <clears throat> Could you imagine being the parent? That's your son, he just hit the cement, or dirt. And uh, so now everybody is frantic, you're scrambling. Paul comes through after what he's been teaching, lays hands, and the, well, he got on him, didn't he? Good, good. Okay, he laid right on him. Did it say that? They went right back to what they were... And he preached till morning. That's crazy! I'm sure they kept the kid out of the window. All right, and how many verses are, is this? Five verses. You see how rich, how rich the setting is. Each one we heard, very rich setting. Marlo, you ready? All right, let me get you a microphone, Mikey phone. Good. burial and she saved this for my embalming so scripture really doesn't say but our minds can go away you know I think it just went over their head but then he has Lazarus who's typifies exactly what Jesus is about to do and so you can just make the connection so he's trying to tell us I'm now going to be embalmed and I'm now going to be buried and he was going to raise, and we are having dinner with somebody that just raised. <laughs> so um, 
This brother is going to share the importance of the revelation of God. That is really oh, um, okay, um, the revelation, I think, was, um, where is it? Verse 7, therefore Jesus said, let her alone against the day of my burying. She has kept this. Um, we know several times in scripture that Jesus talked about going to Jerusalem and going to the, we knew that, we know that he was going to the cross. Um, his disciples didn't pick it up. I think it was hidden from them. But I think this is just another time when Jesus put that out there for them. And no matter what was going on around Jesus, he was focused on his goal. And that was, that was a major part of Jesus' goal, going to the cross. Amen. Give it all away. Amen. Amen. Can you imagine it? It was probably tense in that room, a little bit of an argument between Jesus and Judas. Yeah, yeah. It gets tense. Leave her alone. Wow. A lot of emotion. Anybody over here want to share a story with us? Who's talking now? We're around a pool. Um, bunch of sick people and um, we think they were all anxious and stressed out because they were waiting for an angel to stir up the water um, so that one of them maybe could get healed and there was a man 38 years um, an invalid and Jesus came along and he said you want to get healed and the guy was like but I, I he didn't know who who Jesus was. He didn't know who it was, so he's like, well, nobody can help me into the pool. Can you imagine 38 years getting drugged down? Somebody had to drag him down there, and then then just sitting there, 38 years, just waiting for someone to push him in at the right time, and it not happening, and then drag him back home again. So Jesus healed him, but, I mean, what stuck out to me was the ridiculousness of the whole story, because Jesus came by, just healed him, he said, pick up your mat and walk. But guess what? It was the Sabbath. So what did it turn into? Jesus kind of, he was able to escape because it all turned into, oh, wait a minute. You can't carry your mat today. It's the Sabbath. <laughs> right? <laughs> it was crazy. And then it, and, and even at the very end of the story, they were like, who healed you? And he didn't know. Okay. So he, Jesus comes back a little bit later and he says, Dude, you gotta stop sinning. And the guy's like, okay, yeah, 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 hang on. That, it's this guy that healed me. He, I mean, he couldn't wait to tell on him. And it missed the whole point of the story, you know, in the front and in the back. And we think that the theme was more or less legalism and how we all tend to just get that religious spirit no matter what happens, even when it's something cool like a healing. Man, what a story. That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah, so I like the part where you said, what was it, 38 years? 38 years. Someone had to get him to the pool because he was an invalid. So they had to set him there. Would they pick him up at 6 o'clock or whatever? You know what I mean? It's, they drop him off, pick him up. Nothing this time. He's waiting. What kind of, imagine what that mat kind of smelled like. Because he was an invalid. You can't get up to go to the bathroom, but you're in the hot sun all day. Nasty. Anyways, good story. Good story. Hmm. 
Oh, right, right. Our story is told in the first person. The story was written by Nehemiah, so it's his story. And I think Nehemiah's story goes something like this. The day had finally come. It had taken a long time. We had a lot of issues that we had to deal with. But God was faithful. And here we were. We were back in Jerusalem. The city of God. The labor was done and it was time to rejoice. So I commanded two great choirs to stand upon the walls of Jerusalem and to sing praises of God, the priests and those that would sing with them, the Levites, and those that blew the trumpet. A great fanfare was heard far and wide for our rejoicing. Even the women and children were invited to participate. It was a time of rejoicing because we had returned from captivity. And now we were once again free. We were in Jerusalem, the city of God, as I said. And we were in the process of rediscovering our Jewishness. Remember, we had been in captivity for 70 years. And we saw God's faithfulness through all of this. So much so that in reading this story, I was reminded of a story that Jesus told about those that had labored for God. And when they had completed the work, Jesus said to them, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And I see the people of Israel on the wall of Jerusalem rejoicing in the joy of the Lord because God had been faithful to them and they had been faithful to God. Amen. Now, um, some of the, well, they didn't have a wall to walk on before, did they? So now they're walking on the wall that they built, right? And then I think there's, you said choirs and trumpets. I, I, didn't it say that they went, one went one direction, one went the other? So they have a starting point, and you have one choir walking around the wall this way, and one walking around the wall the other way, so you got surround sound. Uh, and then they meet in the middle, and there's a fanfare. It's pretty cool. What a great story, right? Just a neat, neat story. Anybody else? You guys did it. You guys did it. Hmm. Where, where could I go? That, uh, <laughs> tell us a story. Make it quick, too, because we got... <laughs> how many other groups I got? The end. <laughs> okay, this story takes place. Uh, Moses is just get, uh, taking the people of God, the Israelites, out of Egypt and heading towards the Promised Land. But the Israelites have a captive, captivity mind. Their mindset is, is wrong. And they're walking in the desert, and it's hot. They're hungry. They're tired. And they feel like they've just, uh, it's like, where is God? You know, you know, where's our food? Where's this? Where's that? We were better off when we were captive. And so, oh, I forgot to tell you guys, this is Exodus. <laughs> This is Exodus 17, uh, 8 through 16. So anyways, um, they're grumbling, complaining. 
Moses tells some guys, go hit the wood or hit the rock, whatever, get water. So they feed them, they take care of them, and all of a sudden they're complaining again, and all of a sudden the Amalekites come along and uh, fight them. And so Moses says to, oh wait, I got to tell you, okay, the motions are, they're grumbling, they're complaining, uh, they're just not very thankful. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so the Malachites come. They uh, kill or they kill some of the people. And so Moses says, "Okay, um, Aaron and her go and go up to this mountain. And Joshua, you go fight." So they go fight, and her and Aaron hold up the arms of Moses. And all the time they're holding up the arm of Moses, they're winning. And the lesson to be learned from this is there's two things. One, to have a thankful heart. We shouldn't grumble and complain. Um, they don't even realize what God brought them out of. And two, um, when your arms are up, you're surrendering all to the Lord and you're praising him. You're, 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 you're saying he's God and you're not and, you know, take over basically. And that was what the representation I, th I thought of uh, Moses when his, they were holding up the arms, his arms. And the revelation would be, um, okay, well, if God be for us, who can be against us? And the, what resonates with me is if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he in due season will lift you up. There's no, no, man, no man can stand in your way. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Very good. Very good. Great story. Uh, I think, you know what, I can't help it. And part of your personality is in these stories as you read them. But to me, that's one of the funniest stories. Because, yeah, you know, Moses finds out that when he keeps his hands up, they win. They're winning the battle. And then it says he gets tired, so they bring him a rock to sit on. And then he's like getting tired, and it says whenever he put his hands down, they lost. So my thinking is, in that split second or a couple minutes of when he's finding out, are we winning? We're losing. We're winning. We're losing. He had to, they had to get to this recollection that keep your hands up, right? So Aaron and Hera are watching. We're losing, and 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 he's what? What do you mean we're losing? We're winning. Great. We're losing. It must be your hand. I can't hold him up anymore. I'll hold him up. I mean, there's got to be a lot of craziness in that story. All right, who's next? Where's my crew over here? This is a story about Jeremiah. Jeremiah heard from the Lord to go to a particular city and warn the people to leave and go to the land of the Chaldeans, and he entered the city and said, Thus says the Lord, and he told him. And the city was about to be under siege from an uh, enemy army. The city was full of citizens, but it was also full of warriors, generals, colonels, majors. And they were all upset that Jeremiah was saying this. And because he was saying this, the people were going in fear, and some of them were fleeing. They went to the king, asked the king to kill him. He disagreed. So they took, when the king was not looking, 
and they took Jeremiah and they put him in a uh, well where he was down in the mire of the well, a eunuch from Ethiopia who knew Jeremiah went to the king and told the king what had happened. And the king said, take 30 men, go get them. The eunuch, his name was Ebed-Melech, Ebed-Melech. The Ethiopian eunuch went and he acquired 30 men, rope, and rags. What were the rags for? This was a thinking man. He knew this Jeremiah was mired in the muck in the bottom and wouldn't just be able to pull him out. So I'm going to take the rags, tuck them under his arms before he put the rope around himself to pull him up so he wouldn't hurt him. And the 30 men pulled him up. Good insight. Very good insight. Yeah. Little detail in the story, right, that shows compassion uh, on Jeremiah. Stuck in the muck in the mire of a well. Awesome. Good. We have one group left? Two groups left? How many groups? All right. Um, We're dealing with Matthew uh, chapter 23 through 26. And what happened is Jesus is walking through the town. um, And it's a great crowd. He had just healed the woman that touched his garment. And it was such a great crowd, he, he, you know, she couldn't even get to him. Um, and then he comes to a ruler's house, and there was flutes playing, and there were all the crowd was noisy, and uh, they were all grieving the death of, of the little girl. The little girl had died, and there was great, great wailing and distress amongst the Jewish people that were there. And then they started ridiculing because he says, you know, give me room. The, the girl's not dead. She's just sleeping. And they started to ridicule him. And, the, you know, the, the emotion, you know, that they had was, you know, of great distress. And then the ridicule, uh, the lesson is that it's not always as it seems that we've got to have faith. That's good. Because he says, make room. Give me room. And then when he went in and he grabbed her by the hand, she walked out with him, that the whole attitude, of course, changed. And it shows the power and the compassion that God has for us. And what resonates to me is that we have to keep our eyes on Jesus in all things. Even when there's death in the family, even when you lose your jobs, keep your eyes focused on Jesus because it'll resonate throughout the land. That's good. That'll preach. Make room for Jesus, right? That's good. That's good. You can imagine that crowd, right? All the weeping and all this, and then this guy comes and ruins the funeral. <laughs> uh, but he doesn't, does he? <laughs> well, I guess he did, really. <laughs> okay, our story was Second Samuel 23, verses 13 through 17. And this is a story of when David was in, at war, and it was harvest time, and it was hot, and he was in a cave, and he was in a hole with the, the Philistines. He was, there was a garrison of Philistines. And, and while he was in the cave, three of his mighty men came to him, maybe coming to get some more instructions, like what do we do now and everything. And David was probably thinking about 
when he was a shepherd boy back in Bethlehem and how he loved to drink from the well that was by the gate. And he was just kind of mentioned it to the, he goes, oh, how I wish I had a drink of water by the well of Bethlehem. And these three mighty men decided that, you know, they're going to go through that garrison of Philistines and go get him a drink of water and come back with it without spilling it. And, and, and then when they came back with him, he, he just, he couldn't drink it. It was like, it's like I, I can't drink this. You, you risked your lives and everything. You, you could have been killed. And, and, and just for a drink of water for me, I'm, I'm not worthy of this. So he, he gave it, he poured it out as an offering unto the Lord. And I guess, I guess to me, um, you know, maybe he was just thinking about how much God loves him, that he could send these men that could be so faithful and so true to him, and that, you know, it's like, who am I? I'm, I'm not worthy. Uh, what did I do? You know, God just put me in this place. But God does that in our lives, too. You know, we're, we're not worthy. There's nothing that we can do that makes us great. But God sends us people, and he sends us his Holy Spirit that just does things for us that we just realize how much he loves us. Good story. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, you told it well. Imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and uh, Sylvester Stallone and these you know, mighty men going into the enemy's camp to get a cup of water. It's an awesome story. Who do we have left? One group left. Last group. Last group. Okay. So this is Jacob, Rachel, their whole family, and they're traveling from Bethel to towards Ephrath. And Rachel goes into labor suddenly on the way there, on the road. And it was a very intensely hard labor. The midwife came, and it was really bad, just a bad, terrible labor. And Rachel ended up dying. And the midwife said, don't worry, you're going to have a son. So with her dying breath, she says, I'll name him, what is it, Benoni. And that meant son of my sorrow, or son of my trouble. And Jacob came in and said, no, we're going to Benjamin, son of my right hand. Then she was buried on the road instead of in Machpelein. Is that what it's called? Close <laughs> so enough. That's, that's their family burial ground. So she was buried there. Um, and they put a stone monument over there. So the, that's the setting. But the emotion at the time was deep sadness, I imagine, over Rachel's death. She was the favorite wife. Or, yeah. You know, I can't even imagine what was going on there. They were very emotional people. And for Jacob to come in and say that I'm changing the name that my beloved wife gave you, that's a big deal. Yes. So when he changed his name from son of sorrow to son of my right hand, it's like a picture of what God does for us because in the verses right before the story, he reiterates that he changed Jacob's name to Israel. Ah, good. So this is your name. Or, yeah, so he, he reminded him of that. And 
That's good. Good story. Good stories. You guys are awesome. Uh, we went over again, and I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. I know. The children's pastors and everybody are mad at me. I just wanted to say, did, take your time to do this. I hope you learned something tonight. There's so many details.